Le film que vous allez voir comporte des scènes érotiques qui ne conviennent pas à tous les auditoires. Nous préférons vous en avertir. Boldly Blinking Lock. Start at 4276911374.1178-69. We have deviated from our current course of programming to dock with the outpost Erotica. Unfortunately, our pilot had some issues forcing us to go in, and out, and in, and out, and in again, causing much friction with the docking clamps and leaving us in a sticky situation. Part 2. Picard and Q. Hello, welcome back. Part 2 of our wonderful little mini-series we've got going on on the lovely, glorious, wonderfully delicious universe of fanfic scrumptious scrumptious i am your friendly neighborhood tribble alexa and sitting right beside me here ready to just just get right in there just go balls deep (laughs) (laughs) is mr connor speaks yeah do you do it bonus points for rhyming kind of balls Balls deep deep and connor Connor speaks speaks. yeah i'll go with it sure that works Bonus points for this triple. Balls deep, Connor speaks. So I hope you guys are all ready to listen to me be balls deep for 20 minutes. I certainly, I mean, I'm not going to say it's always that long, but I like to try and extend it as much as possible. But anyways. I feel like balls deep for 20 minutes. Might be painful. But also, I feel like balls deep, it, like, does that mean that you're just in there balls deep for, tw- like, with without movement okay, for 20 n- no, minutes? No, no, no. All right. Just or before just like- we get started, we're going to go into the etymology of Bob's balls deep a little bit. With and that the- is... The etymology, etymology. or the, the logistics? Both. Okay. But, hit no. Me, hit the, me with the... Okay, the, the, the idea... Yeah, the idea of balls deep is not that you're just in there not moving. It's that <laughs> over the course of the action, mm. you have gone that far. But okay. it's not like the entirety of it. You don't just sort of get in there and then just stand <laughs> there and look around and you're like, hey, how you doing? You know, like, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? You so can... my question isn't that I believe that that was it. Yep. It was the way that I've heard it used is more of like a temporary, like you go in balls deep and then you come out. Like, it's not like a, I was in there for 20 minutes, balls deep. It's yeah. like I went in balls deep, deep and then mm-hmm. I came out and then I balls deep yeah but and you're right the actual physical part but at that point but you wouldn't say i went on in balls deep and then came out and then went in balls deep again <laughs> over and over you just say that night i went balls deep okay it it covers the entirety of so the can evening. i say that he, he went ovary deep like what's the lady equivalent I went you ovary. Went, you went ovary, ovary deep. Ovaries deep, or he was. I don't know. I just had a horrible. Well, <laughs> yeah, but sounds, I mean, did that you? Sounds painful. Yeah, no, hey, that's probably a bad idea. I would highly recommend not doing that. But I don't know. I, I you just, see, I don't know. I'm just sad that there's no lady equivalent. I feel like maybe there is like a cavern. I don't think going deep would be a lady equivalent. It'd be more like like I swallowed him up like a fucking beef jerky or something. Like I like, just consumed him. No, 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 no. Beef no, no, jerky? I don't no, know. No, no, I was no, thinking no. the first thing. <laughs> you saw whole I... thing in one shot. Bam. Down the throat. I swallowed him whole like a beef, beef jerky. jerky. Correct. Correct. Oh, wow. That's right. So for all of our listeners who might have been a little bit bored by how, uh, like, quote-heavy last episode was, I hope this little sidebar of uh, Balls Deep 
really yeah. like hit the spot for Once you. Once again, we like to cover all the bases. Some sure. episodes will speak very much about the deep philosophical we issues. We always want to hit all the bases Some... and then also take it home. And sometimes we like to go balls deep. For sure. So there we go. All right. So to in our second episode in our four-part mini-series, I want to talk a bit more about the evolution that came from the slash fix the slash fic, which is a remarkably different difficult thing to say, of Kirk and Spock. And in particular, how it evolved into Q and Picard. Because Q and Picard, Q there, is and a, Picard. there is also a lot of slash fic about Q and Picard. But also though uh, not to cut you off, yep. there's a lot of slash fic. There's also the like I would argue that the writers put in the equivalent of like softcore slash fic into the actual well, show. Well, correct. That's where we're gonna go. So <laughs> unlike the Kirk and Spock, a lot of people extrapolated that. A lot of people threw in what they saw on screen, but there was nothing. Certainly, as we said, what we said in the previous episode, the writers, if it was there, was unintentional. Q and Picard, however, is definitely not unintentional. Q has a very big thing for Picard. Q, he's he, not he, shy. Either. No, he doesn't. Well, he doesn't have to be. I mean, exactly. When you're omnipotent, you can sort of do what you want. And in fact, it's good of Q. Maybe this is like uh, the cynical 21st century me talking, but it's good of Q as an omnipotent being that he treats Picard fairly well with that. He's always attempting to just be silly with his affections and things like that. He never does anything particularly horrifying in that respect and he easily could oh yeah but there's a there's a really lovely like a uh, playful trickster energy to Q that i have yeah. always loved and and picard gets that to a certain extent too picard is always annoyed when q get shows up but he's never worried or anything except for the first episode obviously where he doesn't really know what's going yeah. on but other than that he knows about it and he accepts it almost like when q shows up in his bed Picard gets annoyed, but he's not like, holy shit, what are you doing? This violation. He's just like, get out of here. Like, I'm trying to enjoy a vacation. Which, which, which is why Picard is so great. It's yeah. why we love the characters of TNG, despite some of their flaws. But we've said this in the first season of Boldy One King, obviously, as yeah. well. They have some great moments where they're they're really great examples of, of how to treat other people when you're romantically interested or involved. Yeah. And, and the they're, way... very good, they're very good examples of masculinity. Both Picard Absolutely. and... And, and Picard, Riker, all of them. And that's the beauty of Picard, though, is that he is written in a way that it is entirely believable that he would have this incredibly powerful, omnipotent being who has taken a liking to him, yep. and he wouldn't be threatened. No. And he wouldn't really... He is worried in in his terms con- of, of the safety of his crew, exactly. for sure. His concern is always, what ludicrous thing is Q going to do? Is he going to throw us to the other side of the universe or turn us all yeah. into Robin Hood characters? But it's never a concern of, oh, what is Q going to do with me? Is he going to do something or anything like that that doesn't matter and it's his masculinity not... isn't threatened by the affection of another male of another male presenting, presenting being yeah now, exactly whether q q well no q's are specifically male or female aren't they because at some point i mean they, in they, voyager they go into the, q having, having a son and he babies. talks about female q's yeah i would argue though that q in this iteration yeah. it's never clear in TNG. That's very no. much a thing yeah, that it's comes a later out of, thing of Voyager. Added. And I would argue, there are some things that Star Trek's have done, like, series to series that kind of undercut what they were doing in previous series. And I would argue that that is probably something that they did that wasn't the best choice. No, you're... It would have been better had they not made it 
the same gender binary that we live, especially yeah. with what you're talking about with the the way that Q is in that it's that sexual ba- binary mm-hmm. really doesn't exist for Q. Well, it's an inter- so yeah, you're right. It does. It's another thing sort of takes away with. Voyager takes away a couple of things like in the same way we talked about how the Borg queen takes away some power from the Borg you're right giving that binary to the Q's and setting them up in a more sort of human style binary takes away a lot from them so something that I came across while I was researching things for this series is which the link will be in the show notes the link will be in the show notes was actually an essay written way back in 1998 by a lovely... Now, I'm not sure if it's a lady or gentleman because there is no mention anywhere of the sex of the writer and their name is Atara Stein. So that could really go anywhere. Could be either or. But they have a great quote here, which I think sort of sums up... I'm hoping it's where the writers wanted to go with it. And certainly as we progress, it's something that's very much applicable, especially now to like 2018 and where we're trying to move society, which is... Listen to this. One of the most radical for Star Trek implications of the Q episodes. That a queerness that defines itself in terms of a playful, non-essentialist flexibility about gender is a more evolutionary advanced state of being than the current condition of the human race. So they make a very they make the point that the fact that Q is down with Picard, or even more so the fact that Q, while always being because he's being played by John Delancey, he's being played by a man, we see him as male presenting doesn't have to be and doesn't really his character doesn't have anything aside from his physical appearance that's quintessentially male about him at all and i would argue too especially with the way that he comes in in the first time we meet q yep there is a bit of playing on uh on that presenting of gender because he comes in and he is very much done up in a costume yeah well his, hey, doesn't he have wasn't he wearing makeup yeah as his well? judge his judge persona is very androgynous it's completely pale his robes are incredibly colorful and they're and long we often, and they're flowing we and... often see q in a way that i feel is is very much him just presenting whatever the fuck he wants to be Excuse my foul language. Yeah. He he dresses the way that he wants, he wants. to because he can, yeah. and it doesn't matter. He wears whatever he likes. He wears whatever he, he wants, and he wears whatever he feels like. And there is a certain play around that of kind of sidestepping the binary of masculinity and femininity that, for its time, I would argue is pretty fantastic. Yeah, this is early 90s. This is late 80s, early 90s stuff. And I feel that the only reason... They didn't have him, for example, like appearing as a woman sometimes or appearing as something else sometimes is is twofold. Is one, John Delancey just murders that character and mm-hmm. you want to have him there as much as possible. And probably like budgetary and visual reasons at the time is you can't be, you know, for a television show in the late 80s, it's going to be hard to constantly have a character being depicted. I mean, they do androgynous characters very well in TNG later on when Riker falls for an androgynous alien. But... I think mainly because John Delancey just kills it so hard, you don't want to remove that and be putting someone else doing that performance because he's so good at it. I, but I that do, doesn't take away from his still essentially ambiguous nature. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, that there is times when they they kind of uh, allude to the fact that he doesn't have to be in a human form. He's yeah. choosing to present himself like that. And 
in the way that, like, they can't really comprehend him if he appears the way that he naturally would be. I mean, there's a reason why he always appears in a the Enterprise uniform itself. Yeah. It's because it's so that they can relate to him. You, they can't relate. All of the Q's uh, appearances, not just him, but every Q that appears in Star Trek always appears in that form because it's how they can relate to these characters. They wouldn't be able to comprehend them. They don't have a form as we would understand it Yeah. from what I from what I get. But I like the implication there and I like that Atara points it out. The higher on the evolutionary scale we go, the more evolved societally and physically we become, the less that binary imposition which we put ourselves would matter at all. Yeah. As your capacity for thinking and understanding evolves to the point where, yeah, you're able to conceive things on a galactic scale and things. The idea of, oh, well, I have to do this because of a gender role, that because of a gender role, or act this way, is utterly meaningless and insignificant. Well, and also, I think that we've talked about this in, in the first season uh, of Boldy Blanking as well, is that there is an assumption, I guess, by the writers, mostly, I think, just for ease of understanding by the viewers, yep. that often the aliens are very similar to humans, but gender is a human con like construction, yeah. right? Or yeah. or if you don't believe that it's a construction, it's at least something that is specific to to humans. If slash when we actually meet aliens, because they're out there, man. They're out there somewhere. There is nothing saying that they will only have two sexes. That they will have any sex. Like that is something that is distinct to our planet and the way that organisms developed here but there is nothing saying that it has to be that way no and I and i think the thing with q is if he is as powerful if they are as powerful a race as they say that they are it would make sense that they've come into contact with so many species and races and aliens and whatever you want to call them that they would have seen so many different iterations and expressions of how life can can function and reproduce and what that means that the dichotomy that binary version of sex and reproduction and gender and all the things that we have tied up in that wouldn't be the no, only one they've come mean, into contact with again they would understand that it's all just a particular affectation of whatever species thing happens to be because when you would see the entirety especially in a universe suggested to be as large as star trek's is when you see the entirety of it you would know that eh, no it really doesn't mean anything or that if your race itself had it at some point which is relevant to now where people are really trying to push for more equality of pushing past that and the Star Trek writers are saying 30, almost 30 years ago that yeah you will push past that and that it's not an inevitability but it's it's a function of evolving higher and becoming higher life forms than we are now and they do it in such a wonderfully playful way. Yeah. That it, you that's don't... the beauty of Q is that he's so playful. And I think this is the really interesting thing for me is that, I mean, TNG really came so many years after the original series yeah, ended. Yeah, 30 odd. And it was really pushed into being by this passionate fandom that developed from the original series. That's the only reason why we have all of the other series that we are, are blessed to have. But you get to see the progression and you get to see the fact that I would argue probably the creators of Star Trek recognized that fandom well, and course, kind of made a little been... wink to them. Well, it's a little... We just you just said in the pre if we just said in the previous episode Roddenberry himself threw a little wink into it with yep. the film of the motion picture motion picture occurred far before Next Generation so yep. I'm so absolutely certain were... the writers knew that this was becoming a thing and they were able to play with it in that way in a way that it, it 
they don't necessarily play with as much in later versions, but they don't have the character that can really do that to the same degree as they introduced with Q. Mm. Well, and I mean, Q no. comes through in other series, too. He and comes, he's, yeah. he's just delightful. He's always great. He's, he's always delightful. Well, in a lot of other depictions of that kind of a race in other futuristic media and other sci-fi media the like sort of omnipotent they're you're right that the playfulness is what's so fun about that character because in most other depictions of like the omnipotent race or the ones of ascended past they're usually very like dull mm. they've lost a lot of uh like joie de vivre or something like that mm -hmm. and i like the fact that they take an omnipotent character who still knows how to have fun yeah and st and play including with like you know, with sexuality with being super attracted to Picard. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to very quickly mention, when I was going through the slash fic for Q and Picard, and I just mentioned that Q has a certain joie de vivre about him, well, that's actually fairly relevant because it seems that all of you out there, <laughs> and I'm speaking to all of you who's writing fan fiction, if there's one thing that you guys love about Q, it's that he speaks a bit of French. <laughs> he is constantly calling Ca Captain Picard Mal Capitaine. And you would not believe <laughs> the amount of slash stuff out there which in which Q is, uh, when he's being romantic with Picard or when they're getting it on, he's laying on the French. He's like, oh, mon amour, oh, mon... Now, maybe it's because for most of the fan fiction writers out there, French isn't that big of a thing. Now, I don't or know... Or it if is you, a big thing for it them. Is, it's a big thing as a romance a... language. Here... Uh, to bring you in a little bit of where we record, we record Boldly Boinking in the city of Montreal in Quebec, which is a French province. So, to me, it was weird to take Mal Capitaine, which is very basic French, which you hear French every day, all day, and think of it as this massive romantic thing. But apparently, most people do. And The one thing that I will argue, as someone who speaks French but did not grow up for listeners, I am also from Canada, but did not grow up in Quebec, uh, but landed here and love it here. It's yeah. great. You shall come, come visit, check it out. They dressed, they threw her off the Enterprise. Yeah, they she tribbled her way down. Yeah, I just rolled. I kind of, they just like dropped me off on a mountain, not the mountain in Montreal, but a mountain. <laughs> a mountain, close. <laughs> and I just kind of, I just kind of rolled until I, I got some kicks along the way. Nice kicks. Nice Helpful kicks. kicks. Helpful. Helping, uh, Helping speeding kicks. up the process of forgetting here. <laughs> but <laughs> I've lost in my train of thought. No, what I was gonna, what I was going to say is um, I do understand it, though, that, I mean, listen, I love English. English yeah. is great. I wouldn't say that it sounds nice, though. Like, I would say French is a little bit more melodical. And it's I think not that the most I, romantic language you're Like, right. if you have someone in your ear in, in a moment of passion and they're saying, Mon Capitaine, oh, capitaine. or... Or something in Spanish as well, I would argue, is similar. Or you have someone saying, my captain. It's just different. <laughs> you're <laughs> right. the only thing that I would argue. Absolutely. And you're right. When you take it as just like Q saying it and such. But I've come across at least two or three stories where Q shows up in like full-on Frenchman <laughs> regalia. He's wearing a black and white striped shirt. That, He's got a beret. That could be a nod to the fact that Picard, though he has a... Very, very yeah, distinct right. British Picard accent is meant to be French. It's meant to be French. It's true. I sometimes so forget that. Because... Maybe it's his way to be like, I see you and I respect your culture. I understand your child. <laughs> this is a figure from your childhood, Jean-Luc. I am your like first love, Henri, that you met in the studios of Paris in the 23rd century. Yes. And I'm going to... 
So maybe. So, so on the topic of Q and Picard, yeah. I actually do have some uh, a wonderful story that uh, I found. We'll link to this story as well in, in the notes as well. There's so much that exists out there. Just before we jump into this yeah. and we tie it up for for this episode, there's so much Q and Picard fic out there. It's glorious. There's a lot. This one is exceptional in its glory. It's it's writing style is is it's it, great. It's, it's writing. Just great. There is so many allusions to this writer knows exactly what they're doing and what the audience is, and it's not taken serious. So we're gonna tie this part two episode up here, and uh, we'll take you out on a we're couple gonna, of quotes. Yeah, we're gonna tie this episode up. That's foreshadowing for episode three, ladies and gentlemen. Get ready for it. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for tuning back in. Part three will coming at you before you even know it. Thanks, guys. Uh, these will be random excerpts. I highly suggest you go and read it all in its entirety. Uh, these will be taken completely out of context, and as they should be, I would argue. Pet's Day Out, a Picard and Q story. Q returned to the bedroom to find Picard lounging on his belly, erotically gleaming head propped in his disproportionately large hands. Q placed an omnipotent hand on omniscient hip. I'm so embarrassed, Picard said as he sprawled out on a sample mattress in the bedroom department. You look it, drawled Q, surveying Picard's artfully draped, cut for an old guy, manly physique. Now get hard for daddy. And one last one for you folks. Oh, if only you had a solarium, bitched Q as he flipped through a catalog. They were in the snack bar, attracting more than a few curious looks from other dining shoppers. And no surprise that, after all... They were two very attractive men, and one of them was sitting under the table being fed Swedish meatballs one at a time by the other. Check us out on social media. Grab us by the Twitter handle. At Boldly Boinking. Wrestling fans, do you ever invite friends over who aren't wrestling fans and make them watch wrestling anyway? So do I, but I turned it into a podcast. On the Smart and Friends podcast, I welcome Montreal artists to watch some wrestling with me. Listen to the podcast on its own, or log into your WWE Network subscription and watch along with us. Smart and Friends on Two Finger Guns Club. This has been a Two Finger Guns Club production. Pew, pew.